Baptist Church, I know you've been fellowshipping together and talking, but why don't you stand up and do it? Make sure everybody's greeted. We're glad you're here today. You can be seated. It is really good to see you. Um, I read this morning Psalms. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We have a good God to worship today. Amen? And the thing we can give him. Even though we come from all different stages of life, we can give our king the worship he deserves. And I hope you'll do that today. It's always dangerous to recognize Lorraine to come share with y'all. But today is Blue Sunday, and she's going to come and share. And then we're going to see a short video. We'll pray for that later in the, de in, the, in the service. But after that, we'll have our call to worship. So, Lorraine, keep to your notes. Good morning. Forty years ago, in 1983, President Ronald Reagan declared the month of April to be the National Child Abuse Awareness Month. This national spotlight began to raise abuse awareness in our community and in our state. The St. Clair Children's Advocacy Center, also known as the Children's Place, has been providing services to children and families affected by child abuse for 30 years. We stand in the gap for those children and their families and guide them through the healing process. Blue Sunday today, the last Sunday in April, is the day when churches take time in their service to pray for victims of child abuse and for those who rescue them. We pray because they shouldn't have to pray alone. Let us pray, let us educate ourselves, and volunteer for the children of our community, state, and nation. Pray that soon black and blue will just be colors in the crayon box instead of color of their, bruise, of their bruises. What is CAC? This video will explain. A Children's Advocacy Center, or CAC, provides support to victims of child abuse. Without a CAC, an abused child may have to tell their story over and over again in settings that may be scary or where kids may think that they're in trouble. Then, families have to search around for the services their children need, all on their own. But in a CAC, a child tells their story to a trained interviewer who makes the process gentle on the child and finds the facts which are crucial to the child's case. Then, a community of professionals in medicine, law enforcement and child protective services, prosecution, 
Victim advocacy and other heroes work through the CAC to decide the best way to help the child. And CACs provide science-backed mental health care that heals kids from trauma and helps them reclaim their futures. This community of caring professionals rallies around the child so children have everything they need, all in one place at the CAC. To find your local CAC or to sign up for updates, visit nationalchildrensalliance.org. A children... Would you please join me as we our call to worship is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Just a little bit of history on today's reading before we get started. Uh, Jerusalem had been completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies, but Nebuchadnezzar was long gone. King Xerxes was now in charge, and Nehemiah had found favor with Xerxes, and Xerxes sent him back to Jerusalem to, to begin rebuilding Jerusalem. The walls had been destroyed, the gates had been burned, and the temple had been destroyed. At the time of our reading, the walls had been rebuilt, the gates had been restored, and then they worshiped. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 and 5 through 6. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, before men and women and all who understood what they heard and on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. All the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people as he opened it. All the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is the word of the Lord. I stand as we join in worship and singing, How Firm a Foundation, followed by Wonderful Words of Life, and then Set My Soul Afire.
John chapter 3, the 16th verse. John wrote uh, probably some of the most well-known two verses that's possibly in the Bible. Many of us have memorized those verses, and many people think that they're, or believe that if you could sum up salvation and, and, and describe it in two verses, that these would be the two verses that there would be. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Now the choir is going to sing these two verses. If you'd like to join us, please feel free to do so. For God so loved the world.
27th of this um, last week, Priscilla celebrated her 14th year with us. So if you see her, just celebrate that with her. And this week, Chris Gold will be our preschool minister for five years. And Tim Gold, who's not made it around yet, he's checking and doing all his things. Um, he's, he will be with us for 15 years. And so just want you to know that and make sure that you let them know how much you appreciate them and what they're doing. Also, during the welcome, um, I met Daryl and Becky. Um, just raise your hands real quick. They're, they're missionaries in Honduras and are visiting with us today. And so we're so glad that you're here and thank you for what you do. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you. And we thank you for the great love that you've displayed to us. While we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us and we give you praise for that. Lord, we thank you for answer to prayer. We know that you are still a miracle-working God, and we trust you. We know your ways are not always our ways, but we trust you. And God, we just continue to lift up Rita to you, asking for her healing. I pray, Lord, for Scott Fields as he faces some serious surgery. Um, this week, we ask God that you would bless the doctors in that time. We lift up Bridget's dad and, and Lord, we just pray that you would just bring healing to him and be with the doctors and watch over him. Lord, we pray for little baby Camille as she continues to recover from her heart surgery. We just ask that you would be with Landon and Balin and grandparents and family, God, that, that a little heart would receive that new valve and that everything would go well. Father, we, we pray and thank you for Daryl and Becky, as they're with us today, we ask for your blessings on their ministry in Honduras, that you would provide for them, that you would watch over them, and that, Lord, as they share your gospel, that disciples would be made. Lord, on this Blue Sunday, we, we're brokenhearted over what happens to children in our society. We ask, God, that you would be with those children, that you would protect them, you'd watch over them, that you would be with teachers, that you would be with authorities who, who might notice a bruise or might notice something a child says and that you might rescue them and put them in places where they can receive love and care as they deserve to. We, we can't physically place them in your lap, but Jesus, you said, let the little children come to me, so we're bringing those children to you. We pray and thank you for the children's place and ask God that you would Watch over them as they do the things that you've gifted them to do. Thank you for them. And Jesus, we come today now as we come to your word. And we ask that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit and our inner being. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. God, would you root us and ground us in love and give us the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we, so that we could be filled with all the fullness of you. You're able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to your power that is work, at work within us. So, Jesus, we give you glory here in the church 
Father, we give you glory and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're coming to the end of this chapter. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. As Earl read, you saw Ezra stand to read the scriptures. He says he was over. He was put on a platform. And as he opened the book, the people stood for the reading of the law. They read the entire law that day outside with people standing the entire time. We won't do that. But I do ask you to stand and honor the reading of God's word if you're able. Verse 22. You remember he's just told us in verse 19 to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But now he says in verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So in verse 18, James says, God brings us forth. He gives us birth, and he does it through the word of truth. And then in verse 21, he tells us that the word of God is implanted in us. We as Christians have a new heart. Paul says in Galatians, we are new creations. And the word of God, like the seed that falls on the good soil in Jesus' parable, takes root and begins to grow inside of us. That word, as we saw last week, is implanted in us. And the word that is implanted must be received, he said, with meekness. We, we humble ourselves before it. We let the word of God be our guide. It's the word that's our authority. The Spirit leads us through the Word that He inspired. And so we come to the Word of God for our authority, for our instructions, for our, for our day-to-day living guide. We, we come to Him. But where does that lead? When we think about doing what He's told us to do so far, you remember in verse 19 that, that we're to be quick to hear. And I told you in the context of what James is showing you that we're to be quick to hear. We're to be quick to listen to the Word of God. But let me ask you, is, is just listening to the Word enough? Can you come to church on Sunday and hear a sermon and, and is that enough? Or do you come and add Sunday school? And I would suggest all of you do that. You, you hear the Word and then you hear a Sunday school lesson and and then if you're really holy, you come back on Wednesday night. I'm teaching through Romans on Wednesday night. I'd love to see all you holy people there right here at 630. If you're really holy, you come back and you hear the word of God taught midweek. And, and maybe you attend another Bible study and, and you read the word of God every single day. Is that enough? To hear it taught, to hear it preached, to read it, is it enough? James says that we who are followers of Jesus, who have been brought to life by the word of truth, 
who have the Word of God implanted in us, I think again, through that Holy Spirit that comes inside of us, we must not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. It's not enough just to hear it. We must do it. He moves us from acceptance of God's Word, from the acceptance, which is a vital step, he, but He moves us from acceptance to obedience. We must not only hear it, we must do it. The Word of God must influence every area of our life. As we think about that, the main point is that the Word must influence everything we do. But, but we demonstrate that the Word influences everything not by just how much we know. <laughs> you're, you're not a doer of the word if you can win the Bible trivia game. Now that's good if you can do that. You need to know the word. But it's shown in our obedience. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the focus of our life is to know God. The focus of our life is, is to see the beauty of Jesus, to see the beauty of the Father high and lifted up. The, the focus of our life is to see his glory and to love him and to do what he says because we love him. To be filled, as I prayed out of Ephesians, to be filled with the fullness of God, to have the eyes of our heart enlightened that we may see and that we may know him and that we may be filled with him so that we can walk, Colossians says, in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him. That's the, the goal of our life is it's, it's to, to walk according to what his word says. And we do it because we, we love him. We've been walking through James and we've seen these series of commands. 50, if I remember, 52 commands in this short book. You find a command in verse 22, it's be doers. But be, I, I memorize it, I remember hearing it, but be ye doers of the word. Be doers. That's a command. Let me just cut to the point of what James says. If we're only hearers of the word and not doers, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. It's about as straightforward as you can get when you look at this text. James shows us, and you'll look in your outline, there are two different kind of people that James is comparing and contrasting. And so I, I think it would just be helpful for us to, to go down this and look at this passage and just walk through it with these two people in mind. So let's look at it side by side. First, you have people with a mirror, okay? People with a mirror. What do they do with that mirror? Well, they look at it, okay? So you have people with a mirror, and then you have people with the Word. You've got both groups of people. People with a mirror and people with the Word. The people with the mirror look at it. They look at it. They look into it. The Word, they look into the Word. The, the mirror, they just look at the Word. There, there's a difference here. You, you see it. They, they, they look into it. They just look at or they look into, and we'll study that word in just a moment. The person who looks into the mirror looks and 
and then goes away. He just goes away as if nothing's ever happened. That's verse 24. The person looking into the word looks and perseveres. It's another word for continues. He continues in the word. Now, the person with the mirror looks at the word and then goes away and forgets. Forgets what he saw. It's interesting that it says a man looks into the mirror. You ladies don't forget what you saw in the mirror. You, you remember it. Now, I, it's, it's really, that's not the point of this passage. It just came to me. Um, but the person who looks into the word, perseveres, continues, and then acts upon it. So look at that. We'll come to the last two points in just a moment, but, but hang on for a second. The person with a mirror looks into it. He looks at it. He goes away and forgets what he saw. The person with the word looks into the word and perseveres. He continues and, and he acts upon it. He, he obeys. The point's not the mirror. That's not the point. Both the person with the mirror and the people with the word, both are looking at the word. Okay. They're looking into the Word of God. James is just showing us one person by comparing it to looking in the mirror. And instead of looking into the Word as he should and persevering and acting upon it, he just treats the Word kind of like a mirror. He, he looks and sees what he wants to see, moves away and forgets what he saw. Both groups look into the Word. But what James does is he shows us a comparison of those who look to be obedient and those who look just to look. It's, it's really not about the glance. Sometimes we've heard it taught that, that the first person just makes a quick glance at it and moves on. It's not about the glance. And, and I know that because, because of the word look. Okay. It's, it's, it's not that they just, just look at it and don't really look. It's it, they, they look into it, they, 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 they study it, they look in the Word. In, in verses 23, 24, and 25, the word look is used. But James does something a little different. In verses 23 and 24, that word look means to look intently. It means to consider, it means to contemplate. So it's not just a mere glance. They are looking intently in the Word. They're, they're not ignoring the Word. They're looking at it, but that's it. They just look at it, just study it for a little bit of knowledge. He, he looks, he reads, he studies, he gains knowledge, but, but that's it. He doesn't do anything else with it. And he says he forgets what he saw. It's interesting, the word look in verse 25 is, is a word that's used to Peter and John. Remember when they got to the to the um, tomb and it says they looked into the tomb they they looked intensely and they studied what they saw the word in verse 25 means to stoop it means to bend over it means to examine so both groups are looking into the word what's the difference let me just try to sum it up by just a practical illustration the man who just looks into the mirror studies the Word of God. Let's say they both study Exodus 20. And they're both studying the Ten Commandments. And they're walking through those Ten Commandments and, 
And as they go through the Ten Commandments, they, they then go over to the Sermon on the Mount, and they see how Jesus takes the commandments and, and applies it spiritually, that it's not enough just to, to, to not murder, but you can't be angry. So let's just say we, we come to the command about adultery. And the one who looks, both of them studying the word, they come to the command about adultery and they see what it says and they know what adultery means. But then they go over to the Sermon on the Mount and they realize that not only are they not to commit the act, they're not to lust. The first person looks at that, studies that, knows that, and then may, as, as we look in society today, may then leave the study of the word and turn on the phone and look at pornography. I read yesterday that a ministry organization said 100% of the men who were coming into that ministry struggle with pornography when they come. And 50% of the women. These are those going into a ministry. And so you look at this and and, and he sees it. He sees what it says about adultery. He sees what Jesus says about lust. But he just puts that in his knowledge and just goes and acts. Maybe he goes to work and undresses, or she goes to work and undresses a co-worker with her eyes. They saw the word. They knew what it said. But it didn't impact their actions. It didn't change who they were. The other man reads Exodus 20. He reads the Sermon on the Mount, just as the first one did. But he leaves the study and he perseveres. He continues. He meditates. He keeps chewing on the Word. He keeps thinking about how the Word applies to his life. And so maybe this particular one comes to the Word and says, sees it and studies it to use it as the same illustration. And he's... He's, he's there, he's got the temptation to look at the phone, but, but instead he, he puts the screen time on and blocks access or, or puts covenant eyes on his phone so that, so that he can have accountability partners. He takes steps so that he doesn't look at those things and, and he continues to chew on God's word and he gets to work and sees that same coworker or she gets to work and sees the same coworker, but rather than lusting, they... They pray that God would bless their spouse, that God would bless that person, that, that they would see them as a sister in Christ or a brother in Christ. You see the difference? They, they study it, they look at it, they contemplate it, but one applies it and one doesn't. I'm afraid that the church in the West, the American church and the church in England, we're just people looking at a mirror. We know more about the Bible than any generation has. Well, maybe that's not quite true. If you read Bunyan, you know we don't know as much. We've got more at our fingertips than any generation, but we know all about it, but we, are we changed? Are we meditating on it? Are we delighting in it? Are we studying it to, to, to practice it or just to have another little thing that we can say another notch on our belt of spiritual knowledge? Here's the thing. If you go back to this for a moment, he, he looks like a mirror. He, he looks at it and he goes away and he forgets. And James says, 
He deceives himself. He deceives himself. Literally, he defrauds himself. He thinks he's a follower of Jesus. Knows all about what the Word says. Can tell you all 66 books in order. Can quote scripture, but he doesn't practice it. He deceives himself. He isn't a follower. James is saying, the scripture will show us our sin. A scripture will show us our sin, the Savior. And we must respond accordingly. We deceive ourselves if we think we're followers of Christ and there's no growth in our faith. We deceive ourselves if we think we follow Jesus, but we never see victory. I don't mean perfectionism. James says it later, we all stumble in one way or another, in many ways, he says. I'm not talking about that, but, but certainly, certainly I ought to be closer to Jesus now as a 57-year-old Christian than I was as a 19-year-old Christian. I ought to grow. I ought to be more like Christ. I remember telling my daughters to, to be home at a certain time. Let's just say they're going out with some friends and, and I tell one of my girls, all right, I, I need you to be home by 11. You are to be home at 11. What time? 11. Okay, be home at 11. 11 comes by, they're not home. 11.15, 11.30, 11 11.40, they come strolling in. What time did I tell you to be home? 11. They heard it and they understood it. But they say, but we were watching a movie with our friends and I didn't want to leave. She heard me, she understood, but she didn't obey. Hearing and obeying are two different things. Knowing and obeying are two different things. James says if we just look at it and hear it, but don't obey it, don't practice it, we're deceiving ourselves. The hearer only deceives himself, but what about the doer? He looks into it, he, he bends over and studies it and, and really digs into it and continues with it. And again, that's through meditation and prayer and sp spending time in the Word throughout the day. He does that. Look at the end of verse 25. And he will be blessed in his doing. He blesses himself. Blesses himself. Maybe better to say he is blessed. One is deceived, the other is blessed. It is God who does the blessing. I think as we think about this, we need to realize that we can deceive ourselves or, or we can be blessed. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, Matthew 5. We can be blessed and we can live the blessed life. It doesn't mean that we don't have struggles and heartaches. We, and if you've ever battled with sin, you know it's a struggle. He says, you hear the word of God and you respond to it by putting it into practice and literally dying to yourself every single day. Now the key, that's the, the second thing. Let's look at the key for a moment. The key for this is, is found in verse 25. We often see the word of God as a limitation in our life. As a killjoy. I know, before I came to Christ, and sometimes even as I was a Christian, 
I saw the word of God as, as a bunch of do's and don'ts, but mainly don'ts. As a child and teenager growing up and things I wanted to do in the flesh and the Bible kept saying, don't, don't, don't. Couldn't do the things I thought I wanted to do. But James describes, look at it, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. James describes the word, the law even, as the perfect law, as the law of liberty. We look at that and see those two things. The law is perfect. Now, the law is simply the teachings of God. It's God's teaching us and showing us what is pleasing to him. When we see the beauty of Jesus, when we when we see the beauty of Christ in the scriptures, the glory of God, when we see that, we'll see the law even as a good thing. It shows us how to please him. It shows us how to refrain from grieving him. It's a good thing. It's a law that's perfect. It's perfect because it comes from a perfect God. It's his, we call it a holy Bible. It's his holy book. It's, it's perfect for your life. It's, it's what you need. It's what I need. It's what we need. I really don't need other opinions. I don't need to know, I'll just go alphabetically, the opinion of CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. But what I need to know is what God's Word says. Now, they may go along with the Word or they may not. But understand, anyone with a PhD or anyone who is famous because of their supposed wisdom who spouts something opposed to the Word of God, they're wrong. God's right because it's God's book. So we come to the Word of God for our opinion. We come to the Word of God for the way we should think. The truth of the Word of God is our authority because it is the Word of God. It's our authority in our life. It's not only a perfect law, it's a law of liberty. Now again, we tend to think of the law not as a law of liberty. We think law and liberty are polar opposites. Go back to the Ten Commandments. Let me just beat that number seven down a little bit. You should not commit adultery. You know, there's those in the world who think that that's very limiting. That's very stifling. The world says, and you can see it in every movie you watch and every TV show you watch. You can see it in every advertisement. The world says sexual abundance comes in the abundance of partners. But is that true? Counselors often have to help people unpack the years of guilt and shame that come with that lifestyle. So what's more freeing to a person? Multiple partners? Constant scare of disease, unwanted pregnancies, accusations, or the man and woman who share a lifetime together enjoying the gift that God has given them. There's much more freedom in keeping God's law than in disobeying it. Just look, and I, I won't get off on this for long, but just look at all the gender battles we're having. 
and all the sexual battles we're having. Grown men claiming to be women, women claiming to be men, using they and them pronouns and all the other things. Are they any happier as a result? You will find no abundance in straying from God's Word. God's Word is the freedom. The law of God is perfect. The law of God is liberty. The law of God shows us God's character. We see His character. Think of it like this. The command to not murder shows us God's life-giving character. The command against adultery shows us God's faithful character. The law against stealing shows us God's character. He is generous and he is giving. The law against bearing false witness shows God's character of keeping his promises. We could go on and on. God offers us an abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Are we living that abundant life, church, by keeping God's word? The enemy tries to counterfeit it. He comes against every truth of God's word with a counterfeit and tries to explain to us that, that this is where you find joy. But in all reality, all he's doing, Jesus said, it is he's stealing and he's killing and he's destroying. Someone said God takes what is true about himself and express, expresses it as a rule for life for us to obey so that we can know him and be more like him. The expectation of a coach requiring you to show up for the first practice in shape seems to be limiting your free time, doesn't it? The expectation of a piano teacher expecting you to actually practice before you show up for your next lesson. What happens when you practice? What happens when you train? You're able to excel. You're able to, to do the things that you want to do, and you can do it with abundance. The, the same is true of our spiritual life. We read God's Word, and we see His beauty. We, we, we see the beauty displayed in, in God's Word. We, we turn around and then put His Word into practice through the power of the Spirit. We're blessed by the Spirit. We're blessed by him and we're set at liberty and we're, we're free to live an abundant life that we never experienced before. And one of the things the world is dying to see, church, is the people of God living that way. They're dying to see us living that way. Think about what God has done. Paul says in Colossians, we were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That's every one of us. Alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, but God has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's reconciled us in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And then he adds, if indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. There's great freedom in walking in the Spirit in every area of your life. There's great freedom in that. But we must be doers of the Word. 
and not just hearers. Paul in Colossians 3, just turn there for a moment. I've been spending a lot of time in this passage the last few weeks. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is who, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And notice he says, verse 5, put to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. And he lists the sin, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's the way you once walked, verse 7, when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. And he goes on, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put the old self off with its practices. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. And he goes on, he talks about there, we're one and one in Christ. Christ is all and in all. And then he tells you in verse 12, put on then. He told you what to put off. Now put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And God, one has a complaint against you, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you. You can go on and see that. But look at verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How do we do that? How do we set our minds on the things that are above? Become doers of the word. I read yesterday this guy. He said, most of you, if you have TVs, you've got hundreds of choices. I remember the TV we had, I think he had three choices. And, and no matter how good it was, he'd send me outside to turn the antenna a little bit to get it just right. Our kids have no idea what that is. But you can channel surf all day long. Drives Kim crazy. Amen. I, I don't quit channel surf. No. Um, you can channel surf or you can set it. You can set it on a channel. Do you remember the old radios? You had a song you really liked, but you were getting outside of the range. What would you do? You just tuned it a little bit. You got it where you wanted it so you could hear it. Set your mind to the channel of God. Everywhere around you, the world's coming at you. Set your mind on the things of God. You cannot do that if you don't read and study and look intently in the Word. But then meditate on it. Chew on it. Think about how it applies. Pray it. Lift it up. God, help me do this. God help my child do this. God help my grandchild do this. That prodigal child, pray the scripture over them. And keep praying it. Keep using every opportunity 
as a means to point you back to God. As you get dressed in the morning, every one of you will get dressed, we hope, before you go out. Get dressed in the morning, and as you dress, think about the armor of God and put it on. Hopefully you brush your teeth and take a shower. You step in that shower and you say, God, I thank you that the blood has cleansed me from my sins as this soap cleans my body. As you brush your teeth, God, would you let my life be an aroma of life to other people as I go about today? That's tiresome, yes. It's hard work, yes. But you set your mind on the things of God. And then when you come to that situation that you know you shouldn't do, and the Spirit's checking you with what you've studied in the Word, you can say, God, I need your help, and turn and walk away. You can have victory. I can have victory. But I must be a doer of His Word. And I can't be a doer unless I'm setting my mind on him all the time. That's my challenge to you today. Set your minds on him and be a doer of his word. Look intently in his word and do it. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads for a moment. As we get ready to sing... Maybe there's an area in your life that you know you're not being obedient. We came to the same thing last week. Would you confess that before God? Again, that means admit that what you're doing is wrong because God says it's wrong. What he says is right. Repent of that. Turn from it. Ask him to help you. Ask him to forgive you. He will. Ask for his help to walk in holiness, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. God, you, you know our hearts. You know our struggles. We don't want to be like those who look in a mirror and glance and deceive ourselves by walking away. We don't want to get the Ph.D. in knowledge, but not have a Ph.D. in practice. So help us, God, to be doers of your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you today. We know that you're here, but I invite you to come and take this word now and plant it deep in our hearts. Till up the soil and make it good. Fertilize it and let it bear fruit. Let us be men and women who are doers, not just hearers. Before we sing, would you, would you just pray this one prayer? We've done it many times. Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? Whatever that is, you, you be obedient. Lord Jesus, what would you have me do? If that's public, Tim and I are here to help you with that. If it's private, then you make that decision. But be faithful to keep it. You do what God's calling you to do. Let's stand together and sing.
as we go, I want to encourage you to learn to pray the prayers of Scripture. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. Pray what Paul prayed and pray it over your family and over your children. I, I've sung that very song as a prayer over my kids driving somewhere on a mission field and seeing the lostness. Open the eyes of their heart, Lord. Open the eyes of their heart. Just sing that softly. Pray it over them. And I forgot to pray earlier today, and Myra, forgive me, for A.L. Let's continue to lift him up um, as he's struggling with pain. And let's just continue to pray for our pastor emeritus that God would bring healing to him. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Lord, we come before you again. As the writer of Hebrews said, as we saw last week, that you who are the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who's redeemed us through the blood of your eternal covenant, we pray that you would work in us that which is pleasing to you. Help us, God, to walk in your spirit and to be doers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. If you need us, the ushers will be at the doors, and we encourage you to greet one another and be a part of Sunday school.